and this is Pastor Daniel McGee with Connection Church in New York City. Thank you for listening to our church's weekly podcast. We hope God uses this sermon to encourage you and to increase your faith in Him. If you'd like to know more about our church, please check out our website at ConnectionNYC.com or like us on Facebook at ConnectionNYC. Grace and peace be with you. Scripture reading is from 1 Peter 4, uh, 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted, for the name of Christ you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and the God rest upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteousness is scarcely saved, what will become the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of the Lord. So tonight we're going to talk about the fire, the trials, the pain, the suffering. And I want you to, right off the bat, as we continue in this series, which Peter, so far in this letter, has taught us a lot about our identity in Christ. He's taught us a lot about how we are to relate to one another, those people who are also found to be Christians, and to the outside world, whether it be the governing authorities over us, or uh, people who are our neighbors, even our enemies. So since we've learned all of this about who we are in Christ, Peter begins to finish up his letter here. And he comes to something that he started the letter off with. He talked about in 1 Peter chapter 1, you can go back several weeks and listen to the sermon on that, about suffering. And it was a hint, a precursor to when he would, here in chapter 4, dive in deeper, not only to what that suffering is, but how we are to respond to it as followers of Christ. So you might say, he teased it in the beginning, and then he, he built this structure that you would say is your identity in Christ. And now he's saying, okay, now, looking back across this letter, at all of these things that you know who you are, now that you know how you're to relate, now that you know how you respond, here is what suffering is and how to respond to it. So tonight, it's going to be really simple. We're going to see how to understand suffering for what it really is, and then we're going to find out what to do with it. And we'll have three points under the what to do with it, which you can fill out in the worship folder that was given to you a moment ago. The first, though, starts right here in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. 
He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So we have to understand what suffering is. And Peter jumps right into the deep end. He says, suffering is a fiery trial. Have you been in a fiery trial recently? Have you experienced something maybe on the inside, inner turmoil with your emotions or your mind, with loneliness or depression? Have you experienced external fiery trials? Maybe somebody has attacked you verbally or physically. Maybe you've been abused or neglected. Has your job felt like a fiery trial recently? Your roommate situation? Your children? You see, fiery trials can come at us from every direction. And what Peter is wanting to teach us here is that we have to first understand what they are if we're going to be able to relate to them or even make it through them at all. So the fiery trial, which Peter is talking about here, we don't catch that much in the English translation. But if you look into the Greek, we find that this phrase, fiery trial, is talking about something very specific. And you may have heard this referred to before if you've spent much time around church. But what this phrase is talking about is a purifying fire that would be used to filter out the dross or the bad things, the impure things in a precious metal such as silver or gold. So the concept here is very simple. You put a very, very, very hot heat to a rock that you think might have gold in it. And the, at, one, at some point, the heat, the fiery trial will be so intense that the bad things, the impure things, things that are not pure gold will burn away. But the gold can withstand the fire, and upon withstanding the fire, the gold emerges what? Pure. Holy. Set apart. Completely different than the mountainside from which it came from. Through the fiery trial, the impure things fall away. And the pure is left. So the fire is actually what separates the pure from the impure. Since the impure cannot withstand the fire, it is in the midst of this fire that we find that Jesus is the real, the pure truth. So here's what I mean by that. When your identity, when my identity is tied up in things, remember Peter talked a lot about identity in the beginning of this letter. When our identity is tied up in a lot of impure things, things that can fail us is what I mean by impure. So what can fail us? Well, if our identity is tied up in our sexuality, that can fail us, right? What happens if you get sick and you're on your deathbed? There's not much fleshly sexuality that can happen then, right? What if your identity is tied up in your relationships and your best friend dies? There are many here in this church who have been through that exact fiery trial in the past few years. How does one emerge when something like this happens? You see, what Peter is explaining to us here is that the impure things that we allow 
to define our identity can be burned away through suffering. In other words, when it's 72 degrees and sunny and everything is good, it's difficult to see where our idols are. But when the storms come, when we are tried, when painful things happen to us, Peter is showing us here that in those moments, the things that are impure that you are looking for your identity in will fall away. And you will be left with one of two things, either complete and utter meaningless, or you will be left with a faithful father, a good, good father. So tonight, as we uh, continue to think about this concept of fire and suffering and purifying us, be asking yourself, what are the things that I have been going through lately that are trying me? Where is the suffering in my life? And what is God trying to teach me through that? Am I suffering financially so that, God will, so that God can show me that I need to lean into Him when it comes to my finances? Am I suffering in that I cannot find anyone to love because God is trying to show me that He wants me to love Him above all else and let Him provide the rest? Am I suffering at work because I am making work my God and my King and is lording over me? And God is wanting me to see that my, the only way I will ever truly find value and purpose in my work is if I am doing it for the glory of God and God alone. Ask yourself these questions as we continue to look into what suffering is and what are we to do with them. <clears throat> so, suffering is a fiery trial meant to tear away, to strip away the impure things and to bring us God's faithful people emerged as holy and beloved. Now that we have seen that we have a new identity, we have to know what to do when trials come. Uh, Angela, as uh, our worship leader, who's not here tonight, but um, as we were discussing this over the phone, Daniel and, and her and I, about this sermon, one of the things that she said struck me, and it falls perfectly in line with what we're about to go into. She said, once your status has changed from Christian to non-Christian. That's what she meant. Once your status has changed, you know the way through the trial, and you know that no matter how it ends, you will emerge victorious. Once your status or your identity or your citizenship or everything about who you are, once that changes from someone who is not a believer in Christ to a follower of him. When you have that status change, you have a perspective shift that is so monumental that it allows you to see even the toughest of trials and sufferings, not as a, as a way that God is punishing you, but as a way that God is pulling you into something better, into something more pure, into something stronger. We, we know this is true for our physical bodies, don't we? I mean, if anyone comes up to you and says, hey, I have been very unhealthy lately and I feel like I just need somebody to give me three or four quick steps on how I can be healthier. 
I don't think any of us in this room are nutritionalists or personal trainers, but I, get all, I bet all of us could give them a few tips, right? We could say stuff like what? Number one, what's something you would tell someone in that situation? Crowd interaction. What? Drink water. He knew my, my mouth was dry. Eat clean. So eat better, okay? What else? Exercise, right? Maybe get some more sleep, right? How much sleep are you getting? Yeah? I got a lot of nods for the sleep back there, okay? So <clears throat> are these things easy, though? No, right? We under- so, so what I'm saying is, I, in the prayer earlier, I said, um, God, these truths that sometimes are, are uh, they make sense in our minds, we, we cognitively grasp them, impress them on our hearts, because this is, this is what I mean. When we understand this concept, that it is only through difficult things that we are made better. I tell this to my kids all the time when they tell me that something is hard or that they can't do it. I say, Noah or Micah or Ezra, everything that's good in life is going to be difficult. Why do I teach them that? It's because hard things happen, but the question isn't whether or not it's going to happen. It's, like I said at the beginning, what is it that's facing you and how do you handle it? So if it is physically getting stronger that we're asking about, we're going to say, well, you need to exercise. So that's running or doing cardio in another way, like an elliptical or bike riding or swimming. There's thousands of different ways you could join. You could do something as nuts as join CrossFit or as chill as begin doing yoga, right? There's all ends of the spectrum, people yelling at you or people calmly talking to you. But the fact is, on day two, when you wake up in the morning, what is, your God, what is your body going to be saying to you? Ouch, go back to sleep, don't sit up, or maybe your body is saying sit up and your, 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 your mind's saying sit up and your body's saying that's not going to happen today, right? It hurts, physically hurts, because we all learned in health, if you had a health class in high school, when you do physical activity like that over and over again, your muscles are being shredded, Right? They're being torn to pieces, your muscle fibers. You're destroying them. But then, on day two, when you go back at it, maybe a little softer this time, and then day three, when you persevere through the worst of the soreness, day four and day five, and by day 15 or 20, you have more endurance, you're lifting more weight, you're feeling better. This clean eating has rid your body of some impurities that it had from all those cholesterol all those bad cholesterols and those fatty acids that are no good all that stuff's starting to leave and now you're combining that with building up your muscles and although it is difficult and it's painful and you might be suffering through it you're emerging a pure physical specimen so this idea that we grasp Peter wants us to have imprinted on our souls. He says, listen, or Angela said, actually, listen, once your status has changed from a Christian to a non-Christian, you, you can start to view suffering as not punishment, but actually as enrichment. This suffering is good. Now, that does not mean that it's going to be easy. We know this. It's not going to be easy. By, very, by, uh, by definition, suffering will be difficult. Trials will be hard. Sometimes they will be hot. Sometimes they will weigh on our emotions. I mean, 
the spectrum with which suffering can attack us from is so wide from anxiety right things something something like anxiety that's so hard to even put a finger on defining if you're trying to talk to someone about it some people who struggle with anxiety can't even really tell you what's going on they just know that they're off so suffering can be something very tough to explain and it can be something very real like my best friend is gone or i got fired But once we start to understand what the suffering is, we can more clearly understand what we're to do with it. So let's jump into those three points. Suffering is, it's fiery trials. It's purifying us. And here is our aim. Three ways that we can handle suffering from this uh, passage of Scripture right here. The first is right there up at the front. Number one is expect suffering. This might sound, uh, you can leave that up there for a few minutes too, this might sound um, a little bit juvenile or elementary, but it really, really changes the way that you experience suffering. If you are expecting something to happen, and it happens, you can much more easily respond and react how you want to. If you're caught off guard and surprised, you are, usually you're just knocked down. So picture it like this. Let's say, um, for some reason, one of your friends tells you, hey, I'm going to come into your house at the middle of the night and try to take your TV off the wall. Tonight. Okay. You get home tonight. What are some steps you're going to take? Lock the door. Well, you might leave the door unlocked if they told you they're coming because then they don't have to break anything. But you're going to take some precautions, lock the door, right? You're probably not going to sleep much. You're going to stay awake, right? You're going to sit on the couch with the TV remote in your hand. When they come in, you're telling them no because you're expecting what's coming and you know how to address it. You can get in their way. You can stop them or try. You could even call the cops. But... What if you're sound asleep on a regular old Sunday night and all of a sudden you hear a sound in the next room? Some of you are shaking your heads. You're just going to sit there. Maybe you're going to pick up the phone. Maybe you're going to creep in with a baseball bat. You don't know what you're going to do. Why? Because you're surprised by it. Now hopefully you have some sort of an idea and a plan maybe, but when something jolts you from your sleep like that, Your reaction, not only your reaction time, which is key when it comes to suffering, not only is your reaction time going to be affected greatly, but your capacity for organizing your steps and your thoughts of what you need to do is greatly handicapped. Greatly. You are thrown off. And now, you've got to try to adjust on the fly. But when you expect it, You can be prepared. You can have a plan. You can know what to say. You can know what to do. Now, when this comes to suffering, it's not as easy. It's it's not as easily plug and play as that scenario I just gave you. But there are some very practical things when you expect suffering that can when you expect it to happen that you can put in place. Things like a support system. People who expect suffering know that they can't go through any amount of suffering on their own. So, since he's talking to Christians. 
these types of Christians get themselves into a church where there are people around them who they can lean on. The Bible teaches the church to bear one another's burdens. That means that when someone amongst us is going through sufferings, we are taking some of the load off of them, some of the emotional load, some of the physical load, some of the spiritual some of the practical, the psychological, all of these things, these ways suffering can attack you. When you have people around you, you are better equipped after you've expected the suffering when you're surrounded by people who love you. Not only when you expect suffering are you better able to respond quickly and in a timely manner, but also when you expect suffering, you are better able to trust in the one who has allowed the suffering to happen. When you're surprised by suffering, we generally start to blame. When you expect suffering, you can begin to trust. So the difference is, when we start to blame or question God, why would you let me go through this? God, I'm angry at you for going through this. Should you be that clear and lucid with God? Absolutely. If those are your emotions and your thoughts, you should let them out. But let me tell you what he's going to say. He's going to look at you and he's going to say, because I love you. The reason I'm trying to rid you of these impurities is because I love you. So when we expect sufferings, we can skip the part where we blame God and we point fingers and we question our faith and we go through these big crises and we can go straight to Thank you, God, for putting this into my life. As tough as it is to pray, when you expect it, you can say those words, thank you, God, for this suffering. Now, show me what it is you are trying to teach me through this trial. Picture your life in the cauldron. Picture those flames. And even visualize God, your Father, as the one controlling the flames. And look at him and say, where are the impurities? God, show me the impurities so that they may fall away, so that I may trust you. Expect suffering. Peter says, do not be surprised. So the first way, the first thing we do with suffering, now that we know that it's a fiery trial as we expect it, the second thing is not so easy. You can all just go expect suffering this week. If any suffering or pain happens out of the blue, probably you'll say, oh yeah, I remember I heard a sermon. I expect this. But this next one, in my opinion, is much more difficult to enact. The next one is rejoice in suffering. We are called to rejoice in suffering. Let's look at verses 15 and 16. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We are called as followers of Christ to rejoice in suffering. Now, what does it mean that he doesn't want us to suffer as murderers or thieves, but he wants us to give glory to God when we do suffer? Here's what it means. Peter is saying to us, you are called to suffer. But let me be clear, church, 
you are not called to suffer through sin. You have been called out of your old ways. This is one of those things also. Uh, Daniel mentioned this last week at the beginning of his, of his sermon. This letter, was, was, when it was written, was meant to be read at once all the way through. Okay, so if this might help you tonight when you, before you go to sleep, read this letter through. It'll take about 15 or 20 minutes. And you'll catch that just a little bit ahead of this, Peter talked about this. Just a little bit ahead, Peter talks about how when we are called, excuse me, Peter talks about how we have been called out of a life of sin, out of a life where we pursue fleshly desires, and we have been called into a new life, into the life of the, into the life of the Spirit. So what Peter's saying now is because that is who you are, you're not called to suffer through sin. Remember, we're called to, uh, the, when, when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? He said, pray like this. And one of the things that Jesus said in the prayer was, God, lead us not into temptation. I heard a great quote last week that says, if you are arguing with the temptation, you've already fallen into it. You see, that's why Jesus didn't say, lead us not into sin. He said, lead us not into temptation. Because if, you're, if, you're, if you find your soul, if you find your internal, maybe you, maybe you talk out loud, you argue with temptation out loud, that could be fine. But maybe you find yourself saying, ah, I don't know, is that, should I, maybe, then you've already lost. Because what Christ is saying is, you are called to be led out of temptation fully. When the temptation comes, you meet the temptation out front, expecting it for what it is. A tiger crouching at your door. And you shut the door. When you let it in and say, just come in for just a minute and then let's talk. You've already lost. What Peter's saying here is, Christian, you are not called to suffer in sin. You are called just to suffer in these ways. Verse 16, he says, If anyone suffers, though, as a Christian, you don't find yourself ashamed, but you bring glory to the name of God. Sin ruins you and I far more than any amount of suffering can. If you think that the suffering that you're going through in your life is ruining you more than sin, you and I need to look much more closely at the negative effects that sin has on our life. So suffering is meant to purify us, to make us holy, to rid ourselves of impurities. Sin is meant to destroy us, to to rule us, to conquer us. Sin, sin poisons us while suffering purifies us. Church, verse 15 makes it clear that we are not to suffer because of sin. Christ has given us victory over sin. When we fall to sin, we are to boldly and with humility approach the throne of God confess our sins not because he is an evil king but because he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins 
and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now, if we read Peter into Paul, who is who I was quoting there, we can see it maybe like this. Confess your sins to God because he is faithful and just to forgive you of sin and to cleanse you, sometimes through suffering, of all unrighteousness. When we see that suffering is for our good, it changes the way that we encounter it, and it changes us while we're in the midst of it as well. We can then, and only then, turn and give glory to God because we can say, thank you, God, that before I had sin which was ruining me and destroying me and poisoning me, and now I have suffering which is purifying me and making me holy. Thank you, God, that before I had sin which had condemned me to the grave, and now I have suffering which gives me life and life abundantly, life that I can find only in you. And you see, one of, the, one of the difficult aspects of the Christian life to begin practicing are prayers like that. And I want to encourage you to see how Peter doesn't think, he's not pandering us, he's not, he's not pretending that we would just automatically do this. But that step one is so important. He's saying, listen, suffering is going to happen. If you expect it, then you have prepared yourself to know what to say when it happens. And those things that you're supposed to say are, thank you, God, and I give glory to you, God. And when you understand that that suffering is for your good, you can say, God, what good is there in this? Show me the good so that I may follow you in it. It is only when you expect it and you rejoice in it that you grow through it. It is only when you expect suffering and when you rejoice in suffering that you're actually purified in the midst of it. Point number three. We are to expect suffering. Rejoice in suffering. And finally, we are to trust in the faithfulness of God. You can trust in the faithfulness of God because God knows what it means to suffer. God knows what it means to suffer. Verse 19 says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust, to place their trust in, to place their soul's trust to a faithful creator while doing good. Christianity has this, and it's difficult to find anywhere else. Jesus is a leader, a king, a savior. Jesus is God who suffered in order to prove himself trustworthy when you encounter suffering. Just meditate on that for a moment. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. 
The word is Jesus. From the before creation, he was there. Yet, he came from full and complete unity with the Godhead and entered into our reality. He walked amongst us. He lived as a historical figure. And he suffered. He suffered these things that we just kind of skipped over. Insult. He suffered, suffered ridicule. He suffered questioning. He suffered pain. He suffered the loss of a loved one. But all the while, he did what, he, what Peter encourages us to do here. He continued doing good. I heard Tim Keller, who's a pastor here in New York City, uh, talking about a sermon that he heard. And he said, when Lazarus died, Lazarus was one of Jesus' best friends. And Lazarus' two sisters both came up to Jesus separately after he died. And when the first came up to Jesus, he responded, and she said, Jesus, if you had just been here, Lazarus would still be alive. The reason she thought that was the case was because she knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus is God. She said that to him, and he responded to her and said, I am the resurrection and the life. He gave her truth. In the midst of this suffering that Jesus was going through, she wasn't in it alone. He was firmly in the suffering, just finding out that his friend had died. But in the midst of that suffering, you might say, because he expected it, because he rejoiced in it, and because he trusted God the Father, he was able to give this sister the truth that she needed. In just a few minutes later, the other sister came to Jesus and said the same exact thing. Jesus, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. And this time, Jesus doesn't respond with truth. He responds with tears. John eleven thirty five 35 is all that's recorded. Jesus wept. Church, when we follow the way that Jesus suffered, it is not just good for our sanctification. It is good for the people whom God has placed around us. Just as Jesus, expecting suffering and knowing what to do in the midst of it, knew exactly what to say to those two sisters. He knew that one needed the truth. He knew what to say. And he proclaimed that truth boldly. But he knew the other one needed tears. She needed him to show emotion. You see, we, we all suffer differently, don't we? We all grieve differently. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, could see these two women coming to him, and he knew one needed truth and one needed tears. All the while, he's going through internal suffering as well. He suffered like you and I, but because Jesus is the perfect sufferer, he is able to not only be purified and to be 
holy in the midst of that suffering, but he is also able to lift up, encourage others. And as Peter said in the very last few words of that verse, he is able to do good in the midst of suffering. We must caution ourselves against becoming selfish in our suffering. It is a very great danger. When we become selfish in our suffering, impurities are not cast away. They rise to the top, and usually they take over. We begin saying things like, why me? We begin saying things to other people that, that are signs that, that we think this life might be meaningless, or we don't even know the purpose of this. I want us to leave tonight knowing that we know the purpose for suffering. And the reason that we can go through suffering in these three steps that Peter gives us is not because we are strong enough to endure them on our own, but it's because we can look to Jesus who suffered on our behalf. He suffered all of those things, even enduring the cross. In a moment, Daniel will explain that part of it when we get to come to the table. And we'll hear about that suffering. I'll skip it for now. But we can look at Jesus' life and see that suffering is not only going to happen, but it can be used for our good and for the good of others when we expect it, rejoice in it, and trust in the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. Father, I love how the gospel, the good news, makes tough things like suffering sweet to our taste. God, it is so refreshing to go into the midst of suffering with an understanding that you are doing it for our good. Thank you for the blessing of being able to enjoy, rejoice in, to look to you in the midst of suffering. And God, I ask that you would make Connection Church a group of people who suffer well. That we would see trials coming a mile away. We would begin preparing our hearts for them. And we would say in the midst of them, thank you, God, show us what you are trying to teach us in these midst. And then, Father, give us the wisdom of Jesus, who in the midst of suffering can tell minor differences, can know this person needs truth and this person needs tears. God, give us discernment like that. Thank you that your Holy Spirit offers that to us. We receive it. And we pray that you would send us out as ambassadors of suffering. We are thankful to your son Jesus who makes all of these things possible, who suffered on our behalf. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.